the third commandment in our series, uh, the third commandment, the fourth in our series of talks, but the third commandment, which is a very simple one, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. It's a, it's a funny phrase though, you shall not carry in vain. Uh, some translations put it, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But it's actually the Hebrew is, as our Bible translation has before us, you shall not take the name of the Lord, or you shall not carry the name of the Lord in vain. Why, what's so important about the name of the Lord? Why is he so concerned about his name? Well, you'll see on the outline, I got a bit of alliterative problems there, and so the first five points under there, under the knowledge of God's name, all start with the letter R. It just happens to preachers after a while. You can't help yourself. You keep seeing the same letter all the time. There are five reasons for the knowledge of God's name we need to understand. Firstly, it's got to do with reputation, for it has to do with his character, for that's what names mean. Names all have meanings. The names of the ancient world's meanings were more closely connected to reality than our ones which are conventional. Yahweh was his name and we translate it Lord. You'll see in the Bible verse above us here up at the top that we've put Lord in capital letters. That's how it will appear in most Bibles because we don't know how to pronounce Yahweh. I'm going to keep calling him Yahweh today. We don't know how to pronounce it and the Jews used to every time they came to this word, this name, they would say the Lord and so we translate it the Lord. The only trouble is, what do you do when you've got the word master? So what we do with the word master is we put it into lowercase and the Lord we put into uppercase so as to indicate that in the Hebrew the word there is actually Yahweh, it's the name of God. Now we're not consistent in it, so in our computer age we're able to download verses from uh, one Bible translation into the other and print out and you'll notice in Ezekiel the passage read before us we kept on putting the word Lord in lowercase, which you're supposed to then read as master, but in actual fact, that's just the computer. The computer can't do what uh, modern printers can. And really the Lord, every time the word Lord is there in the Ezekiel passage, that actually is the word Yahweh. And I'll read it like that when we come to it. But what does Yahweh mean? It means it's got to do with the verb to be, and so it means I, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. That's the character of God that he reveals himself to Moses. But it also, he tells you more about what it means in Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 34, where God proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh, a gracious, merciful, uh, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That is the meaning of Yahweh. Yahweh is the gracious and merciful God who is also the just and righteous God. How you put grace and righteousness, how you put mercy and justice together, why that's a confusion for us until we come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where we see the grace and mercy of God and the justice and righteousness of God combined together. But that is his name. And that's his reputation. He's the God of mercy. He's the God of righteousness. He's the God who will be who he will be because he is God. And people guard jealously their names. 
John Paul Getty, that very famous wealthy man, he cut off one of the members of his family because they had an undesirable marriage in his view. And he cut them off because he said, and I quote, he was not going to have the name of Getty dragged through the mud by her. There is a concern people have for the reputation. Their reputation is caught up with the reputation of their name. The second reason why God is concerned about his name has got to do with revelation. Because we know a person when we know their name and they're known to us by name. If you cannot know a name, then you don't know the person. When we meet a person, one of the first things we do is we introduce them by name. We tell them who we are and they tell us who they are and we get to know each other by that means. But you can't guess a name. A name has to be told to you. It has to be revealed to you. I look here and there are some of you I know by name and there are some of you I don't know by name, but there's not much point sitting, standing here and trying to work out whether you're Fred, Bill, Joe or Mary or Susan. Could be any one of millions of names it would seem and there's no way I can guess it. But when you tell me your name, then you tell me things about yourself, even in our kind of conventional name world. If you tell me your name is Abdul, or Moshe, or Peter, or River, you'll tell me all kinds of things about your background, won't you, as to whether your parents are Muslim or Jewish, Christian or New Age. It just gives away information about you and where you've come from. And this revelation was restricted for only Israel had God's name revealed to it. The other nations didn't know who the creator of all the world was. Only Israel knew that the creator of the world was Yahweh and his name was given to them to proclaim to the rest of the world. In Israel, the world could see what God was like. In Israel, the world could see who God was. In Israel, the world could see what God was doing. It was in Israel that the world would see what God required of mankind. But only with Israel did God make his contract. They were his people. They knew him by name. Because the fourth reason is their knowledge of his name was an expression of their relationship with him. They were Yahweh's people. And Yahweh was their God. You could call them Israel or you could call them Yahweh's people. And this relationship was to be based on the truth. The truth of his name. His reputation, his character. And therefore they were not to misuse this name any more than to have any other gods or to worship gods with statues and idols. The third commandment, you mustn't misuse this name that I'm giving to you. I'm giving it to you in terms of I'm telling you who I am, I'm telling you what my name means, but I'm giving it to you in that you are my people, you bear my name, you're Yahweh's people. See, I bear a name, Philip, which tells you of my character or person, but I bear another name, Jensen. That name has to do with my family. I bring credit, I bring discredit upon my family, upon my father and my mother, because I am actually Dorothy and Arthur Jensen's little boy. And so that is who I am. And as I live and I bear their name. So the people of Israel bore the name Yahweh's people. 
many of the, of course, the Jewish names finish with the, with, the, with the syllable Yah, which indicates that they are Yahweh's. So Jeremiah, uh, and Elisha, and Elijah, they're always finishing off saying that they are the people of Yahweh, which is why retribution is promised against those who will misuse his name. For Yahweh will not hold him guiltless that misuses his name. He will, be, he will not be unpunished. He will not get away free and clean if he misuses the name of God. It's not just the disrespect of using a rude nickname. It's the denial of being one of God's people, of that covenant with God, of that relationship with God, of bringing disrepute upon the name of God. God will not tolerate it in his people. But how? How could you misuse God's name? I've got three ways I'll mention to you that there. Firstly is by trivialising it. I mean, it's the simple and obvious way. You just make fun of it. You mock it. You speak and write it inappropriately. Uh, you hear this kind of trivialised blasphemy all the time in our community, don't you? One of the most common phrases you hear on television these days, which is spilt across into the community is that dreadful way, you've got to say it the right way as well as the right words, haven't you? Oh my God. It's just that kind of expression that people have. The last thing they're thinking about is God when they say it. In fact, when they say it, they're not thinking at all. That's one of the expressions and proofs that people are not thinking when they say that silly phrase. But there are many expletives that are connected either with sexual things or with bodily functions or with God. And a lot of the hypocrisy of previous days meant that people didn't use the name of God. They would just say things like, uh, uh, by Jove. Jove being a shortened form of Jehovah, which is really Yahweh. And so I didn't say Yahweh, I just said by Jove. Or crikey, which was another way of saying Christ. Or cripes, which was another way of saying Christ. Now, that is the trivial way in which people misuse the name. We're given this name of God and we use it like a swear word. The second way people misuse the name is more serious. That's taking oaths. Whereby, when we place our hand on the Bible and swear that we're going to speak the truth in the name of God, it's a very serious and solemn thing we're doing for effectively what we're saying is... May God strike me dead if I tell you a lie. That is effectively what is being said. By God's power to judge me, I tell you this is the truth. Now, it's very dangerous to swear by God. Jesus himself uh, warned us about this in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, let, you, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. He's not saying you're never to swear if the courts require you to swear. But he's saying it's because of the evil of the world that people require you to swear. It's not what is necessary. The people of the Lord Jesus Christ, their yes should be yes, their no should be no, and no one should ever need them to swear anything. But if oaths are necessary, then you can. The Apostle Paul swears oaths. God himself swears by himself in the Scriptures. It's not a sin to swear an oath. It just should be unnecessary. Because it always strikes me as a rather stupid thing to do in a society like ours, isn't it? The people you ask to swear oaths are the ones who are committed to telling the truth anyway. 
And the people who aren't committed to telling the truth anyway don't believe in God. So swearing an oath in the name of God doesn't give any more credence to what they're saying. I never quite understand why the law courts do what they do. A perjurer will perjure himself irrespective of swearing by God. Christian people should never swear by God and then speak the untruth because Christians shouldn't be speaking the untruth anyway. But there's taking God's name wrongly. If you're going to speak a lie, do not call upon God to judge you. But the great misuse, the really great misuse of the name of God is the profanity. For most people, profanity is just swearing. But I mean something great more, greatly uh, more significant than that. More profound than that is the profanity I'm speaking of. It's the dishonouring of God's name. Bringing disrepute and shame upon it. Dragging it through the mud. Let me illustrate it in Israel. For they have the name of God to proclaim to the world by their salvation, by their covenant, by their kingdom, by their holiness... They were to proclaim to the world that God is a loving and holy, righteous judge, gracious and merciful and faithful. But Israel failed. Israel was not faithful, not truthful, not holy, not righteous. Israel were an adulterous, rebellious group of, uh, nation who served other gods and idols and lived in injustice and by bloodshed. And so the Israel showed that, Israel, that Yahweh's people were no different to anybody else. They were just the same as the other peoples of the world. And therefore, God judged them. He divided them. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. They still went on living in rebellious rejection of God. And so he destroyed the ten northern tribes in the 8th century BC by the Assyrian conqueror. Sennacherib. The two southern tribes of Judah continued in their sinfulness. And so he came and destroyed them as well by the Babylonian captivity under Nebuchadnezzar in the 6th century. The way Israel lived showed that their God, Yahweh, was weak. He couldn't save his people, couldn't keep his people. And so we have the reading that uh, Andrew brought us earlier from Ezekiel chapter 36, which is talking of the Babylonian captivity time. I scattered them among the nations, says God, and they were dispersed throughout the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, what did they do? They profaned my holy name. How? Well, in that people said of them, these are the people of Yahweh, yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. They profaned the name of God when they were living in the promised land because although they were Yahweh's people, they didn't live like Yahweh's people, they just lived like the other Canaanites. And so God drove them out into the other nations and then they continued to profane his name because everywhere they went they said, well that's Yahweh's people and Yahweh couldn't be much of a God because couldn't look after his people, could he? The Babylonian gods must be much more powerful than Yahweh because the Babylonians beat the Yahweh's people in battle. They lived in disrepute. They had taken upon themselves the name of Yahweh 
but they had demonstrated to the world Yahweh is immoral, corrupt, defeated and weak. And so they had taken his name in vain. Instead of the world knowing God through Israel, the world despised God because of Israel. And therefore in Ezekiel 36 we read, God will rescue Israel. But he's not going to rescue Israel for their sake. He's going to rescue Israel for the sake of the holiness of his own name. Look at verse 22 there on our outline. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says Yahweh God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which was profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I, Yahweh, declares Yahweh God. They'll know who God is. He is Yahweh, by the way God is going to rescue his people. For then the people will be forgiven. The Spirit of God will come upon them. They'll be washed clean of their sins. And they'll be moved to be obedient to the law. This little passage, by the way, Ezekiel 36 is the passage upon which the Lord's Prayer is based. Even and especially that very funny part of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. What does it mean to be hallowed? I don't know where we use the word hallowed anywhere else in English except in the Lord's Prayer, which explains why most children think we're praying to Harold, because it's just a word that doesn't exist in the English vocabulary except it means make holy. Make holy your name. How is God going to make holy? Why would we pray that God would make holy his name? Because of Ezekiel 36. Because that's what God promises. You've profaned my name, but I'm going to make my name holy. So back, in, back to the covenant and the Ten Commandments. Israel is taught to use the name of God. They're warned against misusing God's name. But down the history, Israel consistently misused his name. For instead of honouring God's name, and instead of bringing honour to God's name, they profaned and dishonoured God's name before all the world. And so God promises a new age, a new covenant, a new time that is coming when his name would be hallowed. And so Jesus came. Jesus came with the promise of the kingdom. Jesus came teaching his disciples to pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus came demonstrating Yahweh's love and faithfulness, especially in the cross where he paid for the guilt and so rose to send his spirit to regenerate people, pouring his spirit as Ezekiel had promised upon people, moving them in their hearts to be obedient to the law of God. A new people eager and zealous for God and for good works and sent them into the world to preach. Sent them into the world to preach in repentance forgiveness of sins to all nations. Luke chapter 24, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. 
Now in the name of the Messiah, forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed. Repentance will be called for. Because God's plan was prophesied back in the Old Testament. Back in Isaiah it was said that at the name of God, to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in Yahweh it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. And you may remember that wonderful passage in Philippians chapter 2 where it says that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What will they confess? That Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. The Old Testament prophesies a day coming when nations all over the world are going to acknowledge the Lord. And in Jesus, the day has come when nations all over the world acknowledge the Lord. For Jesus is Yahweh. That, of course, gives a terrible problem to those who want to call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses. Because the very passages of the Old Testament that speak of the New Age coming are the passages used in the New Testament to speak of Jesus. He is the Yahweh to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So how do Christians misuse God's name, the Lord's name? Well, of course, in the very title Christian, we claim to be Christ's people. And there's no other name given amongst men under heaven by which we must be saved. So when we preach the name to all peoples, but do not practice the name, when we do not preciously guard the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we misuse the name of the Lord. And we can do it with a silly trivialising of his name. You talk about, oh, Jesus or Christ That's a misuse of his name. That's a breaking of this commandment. But more importantly, it's by taking his name upon ourselves, the name of Christ, the name of being a Christian, and then living in such a way as to bring dishonour to his name, discredit to his name. See, Australians call themselves Christians. What do they mean by it? Well, they're not Muslims, they're not Jews, they're not Buddhists, they're not atheists, so what's left? They're Christians. They've come from a Christian background. They believe in Jesus. But do they live bringing honour and credit to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Often they don't mean much more than my family belongs to the Uniting Church or the Anglicans or the Roman Catholics or, or the Orthodox. But do they live in a way that brings credit to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? We're very conscious now of the interaction between our Western world and the Islamic world. The Muslims look upon the Western world with disgust and contempt for the immorality, the degeneracy, the evil that they see operating in our land. And they see our land as a Christian land. And so they look with disgust and contempt on the name of Christ and Christianity, because of the way Westerners live. Remember the words of Jesus, terrible words of Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are many people who will take upon themselves the name of the Lord, but it's whether you live with him as your Lord that means you bear the Lord's name. Christians are those who call on God in the name of Jesus and call on the name of the Lord in repentance and faith with changed lives, forgiven and born again by the Spirit of God, who do all that they do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name they are glorified and for whose name they live to glorify. We even suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A Muslim student some years ago at New South Wales University came and sought me out, seeking to become a Christian. It was an interesting conversation I had with him. I said, why did you want to become? He said, I've seen the real Christians. Because in the college in which I live, he said, it's a dreadful place and it fulfilled all my Islamic expectations of Australia and Christianity. But he said, after a while I noticed that there were two groups in the college. There were the average Australians, but there were this other group of people who were quite different. They were not wicked, they were not evil, they were not degenerate, and more than that, they were kind and they were thoughtful. They visited me when I was sick, they got extra notes taken for me, they contacted my family at home. He said, they really went out of the way. And he said, I started asking, who are these people? And discovered that every one of them were the ones who went to church whereas all the others had nothing to do with it. And so we want to find out about what Christ has done, what, what makes these people so different. They were not bearing the name of the Lord in vain. They were bearing it in holiness. Let's make sure that we must not misuse the name of the Lord our God. If you have in the past, then turn back for forgiveness and repentance. And if you are now one of his people, make sure that the way you live brings honour and credit to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your commandment and we thank you for your name. The name that is you have given us, the name that is above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you, Father, for him, for his death and resurrection for us, and that by his name we can be forgiven and pardoned of all and born again. And we do pray, Father, that you would help us to name the name of Jesus with joy and gladness, but to do so in lives that are changed and bring credit and honour to him in all things. And we ask it through Jesus Christ and in his name. Amen.